0: My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Because
1: there's the bigs and the littles, we're the littles and we're together, and we're only 20 months' age difference.
0: I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. In this episode, we're talking to Jess.
1: I'm Jess Phillips, and I'm the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley.
0: And to Luke.
2: Okay, yeah. My name is Luke Trainer. Um, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm Jess's older older brother.
0: Jess and Luke, the so-called littles, have two older brothers who, among
1: other things, took responsibility for naming their siblings. So my mum had obviously read some sort of I don't know 1970s book.
2: It would have been the time that Empire Strikes Back came out.
1: Luke is named after Luke Skywalker. I, very unimaginatively, they obviously looked around and just saw Nan. I was named after my Nan.
0: But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship.
1: I hated how much attention Luke's illnesses took of my parents, how much money, how much attention, how much pain.
2: I I guess she just got frustrated and me being completely self-consumed and and, and bothered about how the world had dealt me a hard hand.
1: All the way through our childhood, and for all the downsides of mine and Luke's relationship over the years, he has never not been my friend.
2: We were inseparable, so those kind of things don't just go away.
0: Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. There's only 20 months between Jess and Luke, and as she says, they've always been close. So it was natural she tried to help him during the years of drug use and abuse, and even a spell of homelessness. We talk about all of that, but we started talking about what it's like to be the baby of the family.
1: I've been watching The Crown a lot recently, and I'm trying to get like sort of Princess Anne vibes, because she's got three brothers. I keep being really sympathetic for uh, Princess Anne. But it's privileged, I would say, to be the youngest for all sorts of reasons, that I was given more freedom. My parents were much older and, in fact, quite a considerable amount wealthier in my childhood than they had been in the boys. It's it's sort of nice having three people who have got you back, and likewise they would say the same about me. But being the only girl definitely, definitely means that most of the responsibility for things that happen in our family now especially since my mum died 10 years ago it sort of falls to me I definitely have a terribly traditional gender role with my brothers where I'm sort of the boss even though I'm the youngest
0: so you're organizing things like family get-togethers and important birthday presents and all of that
1: yeah if, like dad's 80th birthday is in two years time it will be me who is like right what are we going to do let's organize something and get everybody working together
0: and were you always um a little bit not bossy but a little bit organized You, bossy. Like that? you can uh, say
1: bossy.
0: <laughs> was that your role in the family if and if I was to ask Sam and Definitely. Luke and your other okay
1: definitely. I've always been strident, let's call it that. Another thing that only ever gets said about women, but yeah, I was strident and bossy. And my mum said that like the moment she wrote it in a blog she was writing when she was dying, that like from the moment I was born, I looked at her like I was in charge of her and everybody else around me. So yes, definitely, I have always been bossy. Yeah,
2: I would play second fiddle to Jess's ideas of of how (laughs) games would go. And I can remember... On one occasion, we'd been um, kind of grounded to our room. We we shared a room. I don't want to say locked in the room because I don't want to make it sound like we came from some Dickensian (laughs) household, but we were, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember it really, really, really well. Luke had been going to Beavers. We'd all been against the the fact that he'd had to pledge an allegiance to God and the Queen. It had caused some consternation. (laughs) Um but he'd been to Beavers and there was a tuck shop at Beavers and he brought me home some cherry aid, I think it was, and I spilt it on this like really weird like sheepskin rug we had in our living room and then we were grounded for that.
2: And uh, all we had in there was a bottle of talcum powder and we used this talcum powder to kind of recreate a, a wonderful winter wonderland. Um <laughs> much to the disgust of our father.
1: We got talcum powder and literally poured it all over our bedroom, which we shared at the time. Yeah, much to my father's ire.
2: <laughs> when he came up to the room, we had like a whole play set out for him about this wonderful wintry land and uh, he, he was not too pleased. But we, we were forever making up kind of fantasy realms and lands and characters and, and all sorts So yeah
0: and was Jess bossing you then was she telling you what you could be I think in our family there was a there was a velvet cape and then there was a peasant skirt and it was the older sister always got to be the velvet cape and the younger one always had to be the peasant was there a kind of that dynamic in your relationship where she was bossing you into various roles or was it quite equal in that I mean,
2: she was never a, a, a kind of girly girl so that didn't mean you know I was kind of dressed in a tutu or anything but she would be taking the lead so if we were like had an imaginary restaurant or something, she would be the head chef, yeah. I would say. (laughs)
0: Um, So I've just got a few questions to ask with you together. I was wondering if you could both sort of describe what kind of atmosphere was like in your childhood home. What kind of childhood did you have together?
1: Uh, I mean, it was good, really, I think, yeah. Busy and rambunctious. There was always a lot of people living in our house, So there were seven of us, my mum and dad, the four kids, and my granddad lived with us. But then there was always our brothers, mates, or people who were going through a divorce who worked with my mum or dad. We often had lots of lodgers and interesting characters living in our house, whether it was kids who'd been, you know, abused by their parents, or we had one little girl who used to come to us in the holidays, only in the holidays, wasn't it? And her dad had... Killed her mom. So, yeah, it was an interesting and lively household full of uh, lots and lots of characters.
0: <laughs> it sounds like that it wasn't as if you had to wait until you were adults, you two, or to go out on your own to see the world as it really was. You, you kind of had the world brought to you quite young.
2: Yeah, there, there was always, I suppose, what you would call kind of. Alternative um, characters, a lot of the time. So, yeah, there was, I don't know what you would call them in today's modern context, but I guess they were like, I suppose, hipsterish kind of people, or they're hippies, basically. A lot of hippies around. So, yeah, there was a lot of the world came to us.
1: Our house was used as like a sort of political centre as well. So there was always campaigning and stuff going on. You basically got involved with what the adults were doing, whether they were eating fancy dinners and and drinking, (laughs) yeah, or you just, you weren't part of any of the sort of atmosphere of it. But it was a household full of love and opportunity like we were invited to see all sorts of things and know about all sorts of things and we would be like lectured over dinner we had a big uh, round dinner table so that you could just keep on fitting more people around it and there was always somebody round for dinner we would debate things and my parents never treated us like we were children who couldn't debate the merits of abortion or capital punishment or they would just talk to us and with their contemporaries in front of us about all of the sorts of things that they were interested in and sometimes that was really boring like listening to my dad literally just quote Shakespeare for like a whole time.
2: The, The top of the house was um was a kind of loft, which was, I suppose, like the space of the kids, really. And, and, you know, my older brothers were in a kind of punk band and, you know, there'd be all sorts of incredibly enticing, fantastic kind of sounds and aromas um, <laughs> wafting down from this uh, attic. And we kind of graduate up there. So I was up there when I was 13, 14, Yeah, to to, to get up there and I wouldn't say we were allowed, but, you know, kind of you you could smoke up there and things like
1: that. Definitely not allowed to smoke up there. And Dad used to moan about it all the time when anyone smoked up there. Um, But as much as we learnt loads of stuff from our parents' friends, like all of my close friends know my parents really well. And that was always the case. It was like one of those houses where... People uh, are allowed to sort of congregate because they wanted lots of people around and they were used to it being busy and frenetic. But um, you definitely were not allowed to smoke up there. My parents, absolutely, funnily enough, were making them out like that they were hippies and that they were do. they were absolutely so anti-smoking and so anti-drugs and so anti-all of that sort of thing. But I think that they thought that we were grown-ups and that we should be given enough sort of leeway to learn things
0: and after the age of 10 i know something happened then that made mm. things difficult for you
2: um well yeah, ooh, i mean it's it doesn't make for very um hearing or viewing i suppose but yeah i just uh, I, I i i kind of had a a, a traumatic Experience uh, like sexual assault, so um, that was something that I think I just changed over. I mean, I can only really say that now because while it was happening, I, I I just didn't know what was going on. But I remember being one way one day, another way the next day. You know, um, and I think I withdrew into myself. I was. Uh, damaged I suppose disturbed and um, I don't really know how Jess experienced that but I know that the world just was less colorful and that that imagination side of things and that childhood I suppose um, just changed one day to another so
0: I suppose somebody basically without being too blunt about it took the innocence away and the magic goes with it
2: yes yeah i mean i can i can look at it in those kind of more poetic terms now i think but yes that that that, that, that is what happened there was a kind of uh, just a shadow over things i think you yeah.
0: we did talk as well a bit about Um, what happened to Luke when he was 10. And he told me some of it, but what he said I thought was really interesting is that for him, he said it was like sort of night and day in terms of the world changing. And then he said he didn't know how you saw it from the outside. And I wondered, how did you see it?
1: I don't know. Like for me, the change in him was when he went to secondary school. So probably not long after that. So he would have been about 11 then. He just became very, with not even withdrawn. It's very difficult not to speak about things as if you have the hindsight that you have now. But he was, like, just more complex. He'd always been, like, just really soft. And to uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, while he sat next to me, it was a bit useless, like, just really, like, oh, like, everybody just liked him. But um, it became much harder. Did you have language, like the language we have as
0: adults with therapy and all of these other things as 40-year-olds is different to the language we have as 11-year-olds. Did you have language to kind of understand that he'd changed?
1: No, (laughs) absolutely not. No, we definitely didn't have language for it. I just was annoyed with him. I mean, we probably had language that was very derogatory. (laughs) we probably were like oh god he's a pain in the ass." that sort of thing like and he was just naughty he became naughty that was the language that we used that he was difficult and naughty and um yeah
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for
2: limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: I want to ask you in this particular episode of Relatively about sort of saving and protecting siblings. And I think there's something different about... The sibling helping and protecting relationship than there is the kind of mother child or father child. With Luke, have
1: you always felt like his protector? Always, all my life, since I was very little, because there's the bigs and the littles. We're the littles and we're together and we're only 20 months' age difference. And he was always the sweetest of my mum and dad's children, the the gentlest and the one who struggled the most. Like he, he had a terrible time at primary school. And so I've always felt quite protective of him since very, very early in my childhood. And that carried on to adulthood as well.
0: And would you say it was kind of enough when it got really bad or did it fall to him to save himself in the end?
1: Oh, it's never enough. I'm under no illusion that I had absolutely no role in his recovery. In fact, if I were to be really honest... I think that in lots of ways I was detrimental towards it. Um, not even I'm not even going to do that thing. I'm t- maybe I'm just too kind, which is sort of like the pretty Patel response. Um, I, I, I was very, very, very harsh and very, very critical in a way that a mother son or father son relationship is different because there is an unconditionality. I put all sorts of conditions onto Luke, which are totally justifiable without question, but. I imagine that on occasion, I were on more than occasion, on many times in my life, I have been detrimental to his progress.
0: Did it feel like you were just trying this? Oh, that didn't work.
1: I'll try this. That didn't work. At times it felt like, yes, yeah, sort of trial and error. And at other times, the the element of being siblings inevitably clouds your judgment. So, you know, when you come from a family like mine that is big and in some ways really sort of overachieving, the element of jealousy and sort of rivalry no doubt will play a part, so that I would try all sorts of different things as an adult, but I would always fall down on the fact that I hated how much attention Luke's illnesses. Took of my parents, how much money, how much attention, how much pain. You have a dual role as a sibling when you're trying to recover and care for somebody. And that is that you have to try and care for the other people around you as well. So I had to, I had a caring responsibility to my parents who were undoubtedly abused throughout the process. And all of that together, where you're trying different strategies, like, okay, let's let him come and live here. Let's see if I can get him a job. Let's, let's see if we can. And at the same time as being pulled in a different direction of really being like, well, let's tell him to essentially, for want of a better word, to fuck off. Yeah.
0: Because it becomes like an oxygen sucking thing, doesn't it? Every conversation you have with anyone in the family at any point, Uh, it doesn't linger on. Jess and her kids and her whatever
1: in about that long it's back to Luke. Oh absolutely it is I used to say to my mum and my mum in her eternal wisdom and I definitely felt this about her when she was alive I don't just have rose tinted views about her because she died she said to me I remember one time just being like oh you know maybe I'll just rob all your jewellery and spend it on drugs Um, and maybe then you'll recognise some of the things that I have done and she said to me all I'm going to say to you, Jess, is would you swap places with him? Do you want to exchange the life that you have with him? Because if you cannot recognize that being you is a benefit in itself that doesn't need my benefits, then I can't help you. And she said, just answer me that. Will you swap places with him? And so I sort of felt differently about it throughout the time. And I certainly started to feel differently about it when my own children were born.
0: Yeah. I mean that's a that's a sort of loving scold, isn't it, from your mum? Yeah,
1: she's just like, what you you're jealous of this, in and out of the criminal justice system, you know, off your face on drugs, homeless. This is what you're jealous of, really, was essentially what she was saying. And to be fair, she had a point. (laughs) You know, it's ups and
0: downs, lots of years. How bad did it get before you were able to say? I think you've been clean three or four years now before you're able to have the position that you have now with that perspective.
2: Yes, yeah, so, well, I mean, with with drug addiction, and this is one of the hardest things to kind of get across to people, and, you know, there's lots of highs and lots of lows. And I had several what people call rock bottoms, I suppose, and, and the worst of those was, you know, living basically, in a a crack house and, and, um, yeah, just the kind of things that I found myself involved in in order just to keep the addiction happening. I'd say that they were worse times for me than actually being on the street where it was just, I was in an exceptionally dangerous situation day to day. I remember there was, I was staying in, in one property of a of a drug dealer, kind of looking after his one of his properties, and um, when he went off to go and get his his wares, as it were, he showed me where all the weapons were in the house. Should anyone come, you know, there was machetes and firearms and all sorts. And when I look back at that, and being a father now, that's what I'm most chilled by, I suppose. The the time on the street. very very lonely feeling really kind of just searching for for comfort on a very base kind of animal level but it's the fear the more fearful parts of it that are the grittier bits Mm. yeah
0: and we talked about how you tried to look after him and look out for him and do all of those things when it was tough for him. And I was wondering when I was reading about your political career now, and the the, the risks that you sometimes run standing up for what you believe in, and the experiences you've had as an MP. Whether there's been a flip flop in terms of who's the protector and who's the protected as you've become adults. Whether Luke ever now sometimes thinks, flip a neck, Jess. You know, this is serious. Look what happened to Joe Cox. Look at the terrorist attacks. I I feel protective of you now in a way that perhaps I didn't before.
1: Is there any left,
2: I would say I would say yes, but as as you probably noticed, you know, there's there's a kind of snarky attitude that that our family can have sometimes around that. But I would feel that if I was to if I was to say it to Jess, it would probably get kind of shot down. But yeah, I do I do. I do worry and I do... For me, it's not so much the threat of violence and and those things because I, I kind of understand that world and I don't take it too seriously. But the, the way that the political system can eat people up and that, that that's what I worry about with Jess, that she will lose her magnetic north of... Um, her spirit at times
1: what do you think about that um yeah i mean funnily enough today i was on the phone to the police this morning before luke arrived to do this and about somebody who's threatening to kill me i said to luke oh well i've had a great morning and he just he he did exactly what he just did he 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 and I, the only word I can use for this is he diminished it. But I, I don't mean that negatively. He he said, oh, you know, these people are dickheads. He's probably just bored because he's it's a person. Um, oh, I shouldn't say too much, but I mean, it's a protective characteristic that though, isn't it? That we sort of try and diminish the threats and the violence. But also Luke has never, ever been in the position where the is a need to sort of physically protect me. You have to remember that we grew up together. We were in the pub scene and the club scene where bad things would happen to both of us when we were teenagers and in our early 20s. And I I think Luke is well aware of how capable I am of looking after myself. That's the thing he doesn't want to diminish. He doesn't want to make me into... A victim, for want of the better word, who wants me to remain with my resilience, and so the sort of diminishing that goes on is what all of my family do. They assume that it's it's not as bad as it could possibly be if it were happening to somebody else, and that's just to protect yourself, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, and sort of finally, um your um lovely mum, who you described as incredibly wise, died in two thousand and eleven, yeah. and before I think Luke you'd got clean properly, what do you think she would make of the littlies now? <laughs>
1: I think she'd think we were better than the biggie.
2: <laughs> it, it is one of those things that I find myself saying in, in support groups and, and to therapists more, more than anything else probably is, is, and it's real, that a real deep sense of solemnness around the fact that my mum never saw me. Clean or never met my children, or never got that relief of realizing that that I would be okay. So I I know that she would be absolutely um, proud and and delighted with me to, today, and, and I'm going to stick my neck out and say that she she'd be prouder of me than she is of Jess.
1: It's definitely true. She would be prouder of him than she was of me, but that's because she was groomed to be proud of me for the whole time. <laughs> and I
0: was just wondering if there's a song that takes you back to like the 80s and a happy sort of talcum powder dusting time, perhaps in your <laughs> life that you could instantly put on. You'd be like, yeah, we're back in the loft or we're back
1: in the house. What would Um, it be? I don't know. Mum and Dad used to listen to the Beatles all the time. So like any Beatles song always makes me think of being a kid. Um, i tell you what it is for me. It is being in the back of the car. Because when I was born, my mum said that she had me because yogurts came in pots of four and she had three children and there was always an argument over the fourth yoghurt. What she didn't (laughs) countenance for in yoghurt savings was the fact that she would... Have to buy a completely different car. Back in those days, there weren't cars that would fit whole families in with four children, and so we had this Volvo where me and Luke used to sit in the boot. Maybe. Yeah, it was hearing aid page That is uh, absolutely the correct colour of it. We listened to a lot of Dire Straits in the car, oh, yes. didn't we?
2: Yeah, you think of yes yeah. that that we wouldn't have listened to in the in the car or anything. Because my parents hated Bob Dylan, but there's a, there's a there's a song on the Desire album called "Oh Sister" that always makes me think of Jess. But it's uh, it's it's a complicated song.
1: <laughs> a compliment. <laughs> it's really, really hard to wind somebody up who's been through as much therapy as Lucas. <laughs> I find that to be a massive irritant.
2: My zen-likeness, probably, will wind her up at times if I'm like, oh, well, you know, such is the way.
1: There's <laughs> a really weird thing that he really, really, he really hates Steven <laughs> Seagal. <laughs> I don't know why he's taking a Stephen He sends me newspaper articles about how much he, like, what a wrong in <laughs> Steven Cigar is.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much to Luke and to Jess I'll never be able to look at Steven Seagal in the same way again. Thank you, too, to Tanita Tikaram, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at MixSonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week on Relatively it's Davina DeCampo and her little sister, Karis, who are number six and seven in their family. They talk to me about drag, about gold jelly shoes and about surviving bullying at school thank you very much for listening. If you want to see photos of Jess and Luke and find out more about the podcast, head to relativelypodcast.com. There's a good tradition of love and hate, staying by the fireside. There's a good tradition of love and hate, staying by the fireside. another rain may fall, your father's calling you, Feel safe inside, on oh, no, your mom's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside, oh. Was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time.